Bible, please remain standing with me and turning your Bibles to the book of First Peter. If you are joining with us online and don't have a Bible, we would love to get um, a Bible to you. You can message me on Facebook if you're on Facebook or go to our website www.zioncolumbia.org and just email me. Uh, we would love to get God's Word into your hands. We believe it is what, um, how God speaks to us and provides that sure and steady anchor in the midst of hopelessness that is in Christ. Let me read from 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. You may be seated. Would you pray with me and ask God's blessing on his word preached? Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word, we need your spirit to open our eyes to see the sufficiency of your grace. And this is our prayer, that you would speak to us in such a way that grace and peace would be multiplied to us. For we are burdened in this life. And so fix the anchor of our souls back onto Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, Peter's goal um, is to remind God's people who they are in Christ. That's his, that is his primary goal, uh, to press them, in fact, to remind them who they are so that they can live life of waiting and suffering under God's care, so that waiting and suffering don't just completely disorient them. So out of the gates, Peter roots their identity in the work of God. You are elect exiles, because nothing deconstructs our self-made stories, nothing untethers the anchor of our soul um, from our stories quite like suffering and waiting, just having to stop and wait and suffering. It disorients us. Wherever we are, whoever you are, whatever you think you have accomplished in life, suffering comes in and it just completely disorients us. And I think the, the reason for that is that under the surface, our hearts are trying to fill three different buckets. Right? The bucket of love, the bucket of freedom, and the bucket of purpose. We are just wanting to fill those buckets, and suffering comes in, and what it does is it exposes those buckets have holes. The self-constructed buckets that you've made have holes in them and can't be filled. Right? A thriving person has all of these buckets full. I need to be loved. I need to be free. I need to have purpose. When those are overflowing, then you'll find a thriving person. But the story that the world around us tells us is that you have to write your own story and you are the only one that can sufficiently fill these bu buckets. And that is a tremendously exhausting endeavor. I've brought this up often, but anxiety and depression are ascending in the West. They've always, anxiety and depression are nothing new. They've always been part of 
human experience. The Psalms are full of these twin experiences of anxiety and depression, giving us words to say, validating their commonality amongst the image of God. They aren't foreign things that have broken in. They're just part of life in a broken world. But in this world, in the world that we find ourselves living in, they are increasing at an alarming rate. They've always been there, but there's something going on with the story that we're trying to live under that is completely deconstructing us. The rate at which they are increasing, I think, is a bit of a canary in a coal mine telling us that the story that the world has told us is not going to lead to our thriving. It is, in fact, destroying us. Disney has made billions of dollars telling us the same story over and over again. And it goes like this. You're awesome, but you're being suppressed by the people and the culture around you. And if you're brave enough to break free, then you will be free to become your authentic self. That's the story of Moana. You can be like Moana who breaks free from the oppression of her fear-based ancestors to find her true self and then she will be celebrated. Or like Elsa who is being held back and needs to just let it go and don't hold it back anymore. So the story goes, if you are freed to write your own story without any constraints, then you will be truly free. The real you that has been Suppressed, all these years will be free to come out. And yet, as we tell ourselves this story, we are held in bondage to the fear of failure, the inability to make decisions because we might make the wrong one and then we won't thrive. You see, it's more to bear than we can bear to be the author of our own stories, the hero of our own story and the only audience that matters. No wonder we are so anxious all the times. And the good news of the gospel breaks into this by giving us another story. In fact, what the gospel tells us is that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you come into the story that God is writing, a story where he is the author, where Jesus is the hero, and the Holy Spirit makes you a part of God's mission in the world. It's a story with three parts, creation, fall, new creation, a story of grace, of God's working, of salvation through judgment, where the creator is recreating a broken world. And so this is what Peter says in First Peter chapter 1. Now that you are part of God's story in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is who you are. You are elect exiles. That's your identity. God chose you out of the world. He made you members of his kingdom. So you're sojourners. You're exiles in this world because you are now fit into God's kingdom in Jesus Christ. You no longer fit into the world. So verse 2 the verse we're going to focus in on today is, is sort of giving us the backdrop to that story. He's saying this is your identity. You are elect exiles. But who wrote that story? Verse 2. 
Look who was involved in crafting that identity for you. This is your identity, your elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. Did you catch this? What Peter is saying is that it's taken the whole of the Trinity to do the great work of making someone a follower of Jesus. Salvation is always the work of the Trinity. The Father plans, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies. He takes from what is earned in Jesus and brings it and makes it part of our lives or brings us into the story of Jesus. Because as we often say, God is as He does. Do you want to know who God is? Look at His works. Look at what he has done in the work of creation and look at what he's done in the work of redemption. And so each person of the Trinity does the work of salvation according to their person. God the Father plans. God the Son accomplishes. And God the Spirit applies. And you see what that does is it begins to fill up those three buckets of love, freedom, and meaning. But it fills it up with the overflowing work of God in his grace. So that Peter can end his introduction here in 1 Peter 2 with may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Multiplied is a little bit too tame. It's multiplied in abundance to overflowing. Because God is writing this story and you're part of it. So let's look at these three phrases. These are Elect people according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God loves his people before they love him. You've probably been asked this question at some point. You're around your friends who aren't followers of Jesus. And they'll ask you, why are you a Christian? And there are a lot of good answers to that question. But Peter is giving us one here that we seldom use. Because God foreknew me. Because God the Father knew me. Foreknew means simply to know beforehand. To know before an event takes place. But the writer of Hebrew, the writer of the New Testament uses it a lot more specifically than that. It means a little bit more than just know beforehand. It really means something more like to know intimately with the intention of causing a plan to be executed. So if you've got your Bibles, you can look at Acts chapter 2 where Peter uses the same word in his sermon at Pentecost when he's talking about Jesus. And he says this, this Jesus delivered up according to the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of Lawless men. So you notice what Peter's doing. He's he's combining the foreknowledge of God and the plan of God together in a causative relationship. And he's saying to the Jews in Jerusalem, the reason Jesus was crucified wasn't up to the whims of the Roman and Jewish leadership, but because of the cause of the foreknowledge of God and his plan. God's foreknowledge of his son is also loaded with a deep level of intimacy he knew Jesus he knew his son and that knowledge was pre-existing and was the cause of God's plan 
to deliver Jesus up for our sins. It's, it's more than just knowledge of, it's intimate familiarity with God's knowledge of us, Peter is saying, is intimate and is executed according to his plan. So if you're in Christ while you're suffering and waiting, know this, before you did anything good or bad in eternity past, God foreknew you with intimacy, with the goal of bringing you to faith in Jesus Christ. And then because he knew you, he chose you to be his own. That's a That is an anchor for our souls because if he knew me, then he won't be rejecting me now. So the Apostle Paul says this great, heartwarming, soul-comforting word in Romans 8, 28 that we so deeply love. We know that for those who who love God, all things work together for good. But if you really wanted those words to be comforting, not just a bumper sticker that you put on your car, but actually an anchor for your soul, you have to go to the next verse for Romans 8, 29 and 30. This is how you can know that all those who love God, all things work together for good. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined he also called and those he called he also justified and those he justified he also glorified the reason you can know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose is because his plan began with I know you I know you in your wickedness I know you in your sin. I know you in your hard-heartedness. And I've taken you to be my own and put you into my plan of redemption. And so you can know that he who began a good work and you will bring it about to completion in Christ Jesus. And so while you're suffering and waiting, know that it's all part of the plan of God who knows you and loves you. And if he knew you then... He won't leave you now. Secondly, God the Spirit, who are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God in the sanctification of the Spirit. God the Spirit makes new people out of those that God foreknew by setting them free from sin's imprisoning power. They are elect exiles sojourners in sanctification of the spirit now sanctification means simply most basic word to set aside for god's use or be consecrated or maybe devoted your grandmother's china for instance she didn't use it every day only for special occasions it was devoted or consecrated for special use it was set aside so on those special days she would reach into the darkness of the storage and use it pulling it out for its special intended purpose when something is sanctified it is consecrated for use by God who is holy 
towards the end of his holy purposes. Now, if you've been around the church, sanctification is usually referred to the process of becoming more like Jesus in day-to-day life, or what we might call the normal Christian life. We will use the theological jargon of sanctification, and that's one possibility how Peter is using it here. But considering he precedes in sanctification of the Spirit with the foreknowledge of God, and then follows it with for sprinkling with the blood of Jesus, Peter probably has something else in mind than the day-to-day process of sanctification. He would have put it, if he meant that way, he probably would have put in the sanctification of the Spirit after with the blood of Jesus, because that's what sanctification does. You enter into Christ, and then Jesus begins to sanctify you. He washes you with your blood. You begin the Christian life cleansed and righteous. The Christian life is not an attempt to earn a righteousness, but is working out of the freedom of having righteousness in Christ, of being declared righteous. So if Peter had that in mind, he probably would have put it after the sprinkling of the bud. And I think what Peter is referring to is the work of God, the Holy Spirit, at one's conversion, where the Holy Spirit breaks the reigning power of sin in our lives and awakens us to our need of Jesus. Because sin is more than just a behavior. It is a power. And it is a power that has infected all of us. So in other words, sin is not just doing the wrong things, but being disordered, having disordered behavior that comes from a disordered heart. And it's been disordered by the power of sin. And that needs to be broken before we can ever come to faith in Jesus. Maybe we can say it this way. What Peter means here is God has set them aside. He's brought them out of the darkness, imprisonment of sin and set them aside for the purpose of becoming his people by awakening them to their need for Jesus. Because one is set aside from the lot of the world to become a sojourner with God. The Spirit brings us out by giving us a sense of sin's power in our lives. I can't change myself. Sin's filthiness before a holy God. And you see what that does. Is if the if if the Christian life, if that's what it means to be an elect exile, is I've been set aside and awakened to my need for Jesus. Because I've seen the filthiness in, of my sin and my inability to do it with ourself. That becoming a Christian doesn't mean you are freed from the struggle of sin. It means you are freed to the struggle or sin or into the struggle. Because the Spirit has awakened you. There are things in you that you can't fix. And finally, elect exiles or elect sojourners who God the Father foreknew and God the Spirit has sanctified. All that is done towards the end for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. Now, for obedience to Jesus Christ can either mean a life of obedience to Jesus Christ or obedience to the call of Jesus to come to faith. 
in verse 22, if you've got your Bibles and just read down a few verses. In verse 22, he talks about their coming to faith in Jesus as having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. And again, since for obedience to Jesus Christ is followed by and for sprinkling with his blood, what he is most likely referring to is the point at which someone actually comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the gospel and, and says, that's what I need. It happens because God foreknew me, the Spirit's awakened me, and I hear Jesus' voice calling out to me. Because the moment when someone comes into a relationship with Jesus, it is because they heard the voice of Jesus Calling out. Because his sheep hear his voice. And they obeyed it. Because the word of Jesus is objectively true. Whether one believes it or not. Acknowledges it or not. The word of Jesus calling in his gospel is true objectively. And therefore when the spirit awakens. And someone says that gospel is what I need. They are obeying the objective truth of Jesus, hearing his voice. The heart that is awakened by the Spirit hears the voice of Jesus. Perhaps that's been your experience lately. Maybe this is just a a little bit of a map onto what you've been experiencing in your own life. A growing sense of your sin and sinfulness. Know that it is towards the end, that when God is doing that in your life, it is towards the end of hearing Jesus calling out to you with these words, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He is calling out to you with the voice that spoke creation into existence and creation obeyed his voice. And when you hear that voice calling out to you, Don't put off the move of obedience. Oh Lord, I need you. And you're the one, you're the only one. I will give all that I am to you because you will give all that you are to me. And when the Father who plans and the Spirit who sets free and it's the voice of King Jesus calling, that call is powerful. It is irresistible because it's the sweetest voice you could hear and the best news that you could hear. And then when that voice is obeyed and you give yourself to Jesus, it ends with this, the sprinkling with his blood. That's ancient language. In ancient Israel, people, before they could come into God's presence, they would have blood sprinkled on them. Life was in the blood and sin requires life. Death is the penalty for sin and so a substitute would die. And the blood of that substitute would be sprinkled on them. And then they could approach God. But that blood was never enough. The blood of bulls and goats repeatedly, all day long, rivers of blood flowing out of the tabernacle and the temple because it wasn't enough. But this is the blood of God the Son. It was the once for all blood because it was enough. Blood shed on the cross by God the Son. It was enough to wash away all our filth 
all our sin. And it never has to be repeated because Jesus is enough. The God who foreknew is the God who made new and is the God whose blood was shed. And if I'm able to approach the God who foreknew me, made me aware of my sin and gave me faith, I am able to approach him with any sin at any time because he won't be surprised. He foreknew me. For those sins, I will shed the blood of my son so that you will be sprinkled and made clean. And he won't reject me. Because I'm sprinkled with the blood of his son. Well, you see Peter's point. It takes the whole trinity to make a Christian. And if it takes the whole of God, then a Christian is made in no other way than by the sovereign power of God. But look. This golden chain of salvation. Isn't it interesting that, that when we usually say someone's, someone's become a Christian, you know, they've been sprinkled, they've heard the gospel, they've sprinkled by the blood. God said, oh, wait, hold on. There's been a whole lot of work going on before that ever happened. I was behind the scenes doing great work. And whatever I'm suffering, I can know. Whatever I'm experiencing, whatever rejection I might feel in this world, whatever ways I find myself not quite fitting in, I can know this. It is coming from God who loves me. Sinclair Ferguson writes this. Peter wanted others to know that in the struggle for holiness in an unholy world, God's for us. God is behind us. God is not only by our side, he is on our side. Whatever opposition there may be from the world, the flesh, and the devil, God, the Trinity, has determined to pour his energy into making us like Jesus. And so there you go. The buckets of love, freedom, and meaning that are more like sibs than buckets are filled by God. And they are now full by his grace. So that the end result, may grace and peace be multiplied to abundance and overflowing. For you were loved by God before. You have been freed by God the Spirit. And now you belong to Jesus and have been washed with his blood. Let's suffer and wait well in light of that good news. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, we come to the God who is the Savior, the King, you're righteous and just. Your anger, while slow, is hot and fierce, and no one can stand before your righteous indignation. Even your own Son fell under your might and wrath. And we thank you that he did. For apart from him, we can't stand before you. And we are grieved again this week in the way that we have seen your image treated in this world.
is a great unrest. And racism has reared its ugly head again. Those with a different skin color, just simply pigment in their skin, are not treated with the dignity and honor that they deserve. And we lament, we mourn over this. We wait for justice. And while we wait, we lament and mourn before you saying, Come, God, may we taste greater justice in this earth. And Lord, we ask you, awaken your people to push back the evil of racism in this world and give us wisdom to know what to do and how to do it. We pray, Lord, for a church planner to reach the small towns around us with the life-changing evil-breaking news of your gospel. And we pray, God, that your spirit would be moving through these towns, awakening your elect to their need for Jesus. That we might see revival break out in our own city and the small towns surrounding us through our entire region. Renew us by deepening our repentance. We've grown casual about worship and you took it from us for a while and so as we are starting back increase our hunger for your redemptive presence as we gather together pray for those many who've lost jobs and are looking at a future with fear providing and comfort for them lastly lord we come as we come to your family table as your people we pray the prayer your elder brother, our elder brother, taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.